have you all here today. We did have a wonderful picnic for a group of people who are a little bit more seasoned than I. Um, I was. I just said they're more seasoned. Um, I heard a story recently about a pastor who was preaching on the ills of uh, addictive behavior and the need for self-control. And with real passion, he shouted out, if I had all the beer in the world, I'd take it out back and throw it in that river. With either, even greater fervor and volume. He said, if I had all the whiskey in the world, I'd take it out and throw it in that same river. And finally... At the top of his lungs, he shouted out, if I had all the drugs in the world, I'd go throw them in the river too. Finally, after a while, the message ended and the, by then, sweaty and exhausted pastor sat down and the song leader came up. He stood in front of the people and he said, can we all stand and let's sing together? Shall we gather at the river? I have no idea who sent that to me, but I liked it. If you're here today and you haven't been with us in the last few weeks, I am finishing up a short series for me, because usually my series are actually epics. Um, I'm finishing a short series on the subject of things that people believe about God and about the Bible, even believe that God said when God really didn't say it at all. Uh, A few weeks ago, the first week, I looked at this subject. God's number one priority is your personal happiness. And there are a lot of people who do it. In fact, the way you often will hear that said is the opposite. When people are struggling, they say, well, God doesn't want me unhappy, does he? As if somehow your happiness is God's paramount priority. So the first one we looked at was that. The second one we looked at is God will never give you more than you can handle. And we hear that from people all the time when you're going through a tough time. Somebody who's a well-meaning Christian churchgoer will come and say to you, well, God will never give you more than you can handle, you know. And everything in me wants to say, are you nuts? Have you not read the Bible? The Bible is full of people who had far more than what they could handle. But those two messages are available in the sound department. If you weren't here for them, I'd encourage you to get them. Today, I want to address uh, another common thought. It's my last one in this particular series. Things that I hear Christians use often. And because this particular message has the potential of being a little bit heavier, a little bit more weighty of a topic, I thought I would help us get started out on the right foot. So, I'm going to ask you to engage with me for just a moment. I would like you all to turn your head to the left and look at people to your left for a moment. Pay attention to who's there. Look at them carefully. Think about how you know them, what you think about them, even how they're dressed, what their size is, how how all that makes you feel. Think about that. Okay, now, I would like you to turn to the right and do the same thing. Look at them. You don't have to. I didn't say talk to them. I didn't say lean and hug them. Just look at them. And now to get really wild, turn around and look at the people behind you and do the same thing. That's right. All of it's ultimately back at Luke. 
Okay, now, now face forward. Okay, now, on the count of three, on the count of three, without any further thought, I want you to point at the person you think is the biggest sinner that you looked at. Ready? One, two, three, go. Okay, don't you feel better now knowing who's the real sinner? Uh, in the Bible, there is something called the um, unpardonable sin or the unforgivable sin. How many have ever heard of that? I, I want to tell you up front, no one really knows exactly what that is. And if they say that they do, they're wrong. No one knows for sure what it is. But I would suggest to you that in today's American Western culture, the unpardonable sin is calling anybody a sinner. The unpardonable sin in our culture is ever saying that something that somebody thinks or that somebody does is wrong. The unpardonable sin is believing that what somebody has done is by definition wrong because they believe this. And this is the misbelief I want to talk to you about today. People believe today it doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anyone. What does it matter to you? I'm not hurting anybody but myself. And people say that kind of thing all the time. Like, what I do doesn't really matter, especially if it only affects me. Well, I am here today to tell you that God didn't ever say that, nor does God actually think that. And... and People will say, well, well, especially, I've heard even Christians say this to me. In the midst of sin, outright sin, I've heard Christians say to me, well, God understands. And I know I'm not perfect, but, you know, God understands. And everything in me wants to say, yeah, God understands. He understands that what you're doing is wrong. It's called sin. So, I want to talk about something that's a little bit weightier today. And in order to get there, I want you to just think for a moment about what are the value systems that were in place during the Bible times and what is the value system within our culture today. Now, I would suggest to you, you don't have to agree with me, but I would suggest that probably one of the most prominent values of biblical days is the value of justice. It was about right and wrong. It's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's kind of like the Old West, a life for a life. Now, that might seem harsh to you, but the truth is when God spoke that value system into place, when God said an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, in effect, he wasn't saying be vindictive. He was saying you cannot exact more in penalty than the actual crime. So you can't do more than a tooth for a tooth or an eye for an eye. You can't in anger just reach out and kill somebody because they hurt you. It limits the level. In other words, the penalty has to be commensurate with the crime. So in my opinion, in the Bible times, one of the primary values was justice. But if I were to look at today, especially in today's political culture, 
and even more, stop the growling, and even more, even in the church culture, I would suggest that one of the prominent values today is tolerance. Tolerance. Now, here's the problem with that. The word tolerance has changed definition significantly in recent years. Listen to Webster's 1828 dictionary definition. It is this. Tolerance has to do with endurance. How much and what you can bear up under or suffer. That was Webster's 1828 dictionary definition of the word tolerance. Now tell me, does that sound like how people would define it today? No. Today, in fact, I would suggest that even back in my childhood days, tolerance had come to mean more about... I'm trying to think of a better way to say this um, without using the word in my definition. It's almost like tolerance has to do with accepting people even if they believe differently and act differently. In my day, that's what it came to mean. It's accepting people, even if they think differently and behave differently. But I would suggest that it's even gone farther today. It's gone so far as to say that tolerance is about all ideas and all behaviors are equal in value and no one should judge anything. That's what I would suggest to you, tolerance has come to mean, and that is one of the primary value systems of our day. So that if we talk about an unpardonable sin, in our culture, the unpardonable sin is almost disagreement. You can't disagree with me. I mean, think about the political discussions that have gone on. Right versus left, Republican versus Democrat, conservative versus liberal. It's almost like you can't disagree with somebody without becoming a bad person, a bad guy, because tolerance is king, and that's how we work it. The problem, too, is that we've even taken terms that have been used to describe sin or wrongdoing, and we have so sanitized them and watered them down that we don't even call them that anymore. We don't call things sin anymore. We call them things like dysfunctions. You know, they, they, they've got a disability. Um, things like, uh, these are just ones I've thought of. I'm sure you could think of better ones. We used to call it pornography. Pornography was a bad word. So no one wants to be guilty of pornography anymore. So now we call it adult entertainment in order to make it sound better. We used to call it forn fornication. Fornication was where you're having sexual relations with someone outside of marriage. You're not married yet. Today, and I saw this not even just recently, I'm talking about recently, somebody said, it's not fornication, it's fooling around. As if somehow that makes it better. It's no longer homosexuality. It's an alternate lifestyle. We have so sanitized sin because we have such a high value in tolerance that no one ever should judge anything or anyone anymore. In fact, we hear things all the time like, well, you shouldn't judge me. The Bible says, judge not. Do you know the Bible really doesn't say that? Because if you just take those two words, you've forgotten the rest of the words. 
In fact, in one point, God's word even says we should judge righteous judgments. So we have to be very, very careful about the things that we're attributing to God that God really doesn't say. We've ended up as a culture in what I believe Isaiah the prophet actually prophesied in Isaiah chapter 5 when he said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I think that's kind of where we are as a culture. Things that... I mean, honestly, think about it. Be honest for a second. Isn't it true that things that used to be common sense aren't common anymore? You can't say the word common sense anymore because you have to first find out what's common. It's not common anymore. Billy Sunday, uh, how how many of you guys have ever heard of Billy Sunday? Billy Sunday was a uh, pro baseball player who actually had a dramatic, this is no joke, he had a dramatic conversion experience on a street side where he and his buddies on the team stood to make fun of the Salvation Army people who were preaching the gospel. But while they were preaching and singing, he got saved. And he began to go around preaching the gospel everywhere. Billy Sunday said this back in the late 1800s. He said, one reason why sin flourishes is that it's treated like a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake. As unpopular and politically incorrect as it is today, we have to, as Christians, come to the point where we can say sin is sin. It's real. It's destructive. It has dramatic earthly consequences and potentially eternal damning consequences. That's what sin does. Now, today, what I want to talk about is misbeliefs based upon that first misbelief, which is, I can do anything I want, it doesn't matter as long as I don't hurt anybody. So I want to talk about three very simple misbeliefs about sin that I think are important in our world today. Number one, I'm not really a bad person at all. Uh, You hear people say things like that all the time. At least I do. I I sit there in Bud's and I talk to people with my coffee. Uh, Karen jokes that Bud's has become my second office. But the thing I like about Bud's is this. When I'm here, all I deal with primarily are Christians. Down there, they're good old-fashioned sinners and they make no joke about it. I mean, that's just who I am. Oh, well, when I get to hell, I hope all my friends will be there with me. But the irony is, I sit at the table. For a long time, I would sit there alone, or sometimes, you know, some believer would come in and sit down. But now, these guys who have gotten to know me a little bit, who aren't Christians, come and sit down. It's not uncommon to have them say, well, yeah, I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. I mean, I I got problems, but I'm really a good person, you know. The truth is, According to 1 John 1.8, if we say that we're without sin, the truth is not in us and we deceive ourselves. The truth is every one of us here today, sin. That's the truth. We're sinners in need of the grace of God. Now, the problem is, just like I had you do in that exercise at the beginning, we tend to compare ourselves to people around us. And I suspect that you can find somebody here sitting today that you suspect is a worse sinner than you. Most of you are probably looking at them, and I know that. That's okay. 
But here's my point. If you're comparing yourself to me, you might come out on the winning side. But the Bible never tells you to compare yourself to me. It says you're to compare yourself to a holy, righteous God. And in his eyes, we all fall short. We are all sinners in need of his grace. It's only when we compare ourselves to God that we realize it's not fair for me to say I'm not really a bad person. Because the truth is, we are all, quote, bad, end quote. All of us have stuff inside of us that God wants to work on. Now, let me ask you it this way. And again, this is where you're going to engage with me, okay? How many of you have ever told a lie? Would you raise your hands? You've ever told a lie? I'm, I'm giving you a chance to be honest. Okay, now you can put your hands down. And those of you that didn't raise your hands, liar, liar, pants on fire. Okay. Second, how many of you have ever stolen anything? And, and before you raise your hands, remember, you might be stealing time for your boss that you're supposed to be working. Instead, you're on your phone or you're looking at the sports scores on your computer. How many of you have ever gone to Tops and your child in the cart was crying and so you get a donut with every intention of paying for it and you go through the cash register and by the time you get up there you're just like going nuts and just want to get out of the store you get out to the car and you realize oh i never paid for the donut oh well you've stolen okay so how many of you ever stolen anything okay put your hands down number three how many of you have ever hit your thumb with a hammer or stubbed your toe really badly and out of your mouth flowed some words you would not want your kids to repeat? And perhaps the name of the Lord God might even be prominent in there somewhere and you're not going to convince me you are calling on the name of the Lord seriously at that point in worship. How many of you have ever done that? Okay. How many of you have ever eaten a bit more than you should have just because it looked good? Okay. All right. Okay, thank you very much for participating. Let's take out our spiritual calculators and add all of this up. Okay. I know that my examples now are extreme, and I know that I cannot justify them completely, but they help me get to where I want to go, so I'm going to do it anyways. If somebody lies... What might you call them? A liar. If somebody uses the name of the Lord in vain, what are they doing? Blaspheming. Cursing. If somebody steals, what are they? A thief. If somebody eats too much, what are they? A glutton. So, what you have all confessed to is you are lying, thieving, cursing gluttons. And this is Family Life Church, and we're glad to help you make you feel better about yourself. Hope you feel good. The reason why I did that, honestly, is for us to realize we're really not as good as we try to pretend to be. I mean, you guys come in here, you dress up a little bit. Maybe, you know, maybe it's the only time of the whole week as a lady you put on a dress, but you put on a dress, and guys, you actually dress nicely. Maybe even, you know, wear a tie once in a while or a suit. You come in, you look good. But the truth is, if you're honest, we've all got stuff. 
We all got junk inside. We've done dumb things. And there's not a one of us that gets to my age in life, and hopefully sooner, that doesn't wish to be able to say to the youngers, don't make some of the same stupid mistakes I made. Use some wisdom greater than mine. Learn from me. Romans 3.10 says this, There is none righteous, no, not one. You cannot like it, you can argue with it, but it's in the Bible. And I would choose to believe the Bible over how I feel or what my culture says any day of the week. There is none righteous, no, not one. You're not all that good. We're all sinners in need of His grace. Now, you might not hear me, and this is true, you might not hear me use the Lord's name in vain when I hit my thumb with a hammer. Because that's just, it's not there. But what you might hear me do is exaggerate to Leo about my great golf shot last week. And by the way, I had some amazing golf shots. Yeah, they were amazing, all right. Uh, The water thought they were amazing. The road thought they were amazing. Um, So just because we don't do one doesn't mean we're somehow all innocent when the truth is we do something different. Because we all have stuff that we need to work on. We all have issues. We all are desperately in need of His mercy and His grace. So number one, it's not appropriate to say, I'm not a bad person. We all have stuff. Number two, and I probably hear this more in these days than anything else, all sin is the same. And you'll hear somebody say it. Well, who are you to judge me? What I'm doing is no different than really what you're doing. I mean, all sin is the same anyways. <clears throat> Here's the problem. God never said that. Nor does the Bible say that. And you don't have any right to say it. Now, all unconfessed, unrepented of, and unforgiven sin does lead to eternal separation from God, period. That's the fact, Jack. That's, that's the truth. You can't get beyond that. Paul said in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's the truth. That's the Bible. Any type of sin, little sin, big sin, whopper of a lie, little white lie, whatever kind of sin you can think of, all unconfessed, unrepented sin leads to eternal separation from God. The Bible is clear that without Christ, we are all sinners and we all need the grace of God. But when it comes to sin in this culture, people tend to give values. And we can see it even in the church. Like, here's an example. Somebody's living with somebody. We, we know that's wrong. Somebody's living with somebody. They're having relations. They even have children. And they live together for two, three years, and then they break up and they separate. They go their own way. The guy might live with somebody else, have another child, break up, go away. And then they finally meet somebody and they decide to get married. They're finally married. He comes to church. That is a person who's in good stead because they're now married. Many churches would say, he's fine. He can be a deacon because he's now married. What he did before doesn't matter. He's now married. But the woman who is left with a child 
out of wedlock is somehow scorned. She's got like the scarlet letter. We value sin in church differently. A lie isn't as bad as stealing. Stealing isn't as bad as homosexuality. That's really bad. We value sins. And the truth is, there's even some merit to that. Because in the Bible, God actually has some different things to say about different sins. Now, eternally, all sin is going to lead you to the same place. Separation from God. But on this earth, sin does have different consequences. I, I put up some verses for you I want you to just look at. Matthew five twenty-seven. Jesus said this. You have heard it said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's no longer just the act of adultery. It's even having lust in your heart. And, and again, I've heard people say things like, I've, I've literally had people say to me, well, I've already lusted in my heart, so I might as well go ahead and do the act. As if one is the same as the other. We'll look at that in a minute. Is it wrong to look at someone else to lust after them, guy or gal? Yes. Is that the same as committing the actual act of adultery? No, it is not. Not biblically, it is not. And we're going to look at that. So, let's say one day I'm pulling out of the parking lot over here at Walmart. I come up the roadway, and I'm sitting there waiting. I'm impatient. I'm in a hurry. I've got things to do. And I finally see just the, the most minute break in traffic, and I shoot out into traffic right in front of this white van that is coming towards me. And as I'm pulling out, I see that that van belongs to David Blum. David Blum has already had a bad day. He's had customers treat him poorly. He's had work not go well as he's repairing appliances. Things aren't going well. David is muttering under his breath about wanting to kill all of the crazy drivers that are on the road. As I'm pulling out in front of him, before he realizes it's me, he shoots me the middle finger of salute. Don't look at me. It was Dave. Now, is it wrong for David to shoot me the finger? Say yes. But is shooting the finger the same as if he actually took a gun and shot me because he got mad? No. There are differences. All sin is not the same. And I want to show you some verses. Look at Luke 20, 46, or you can just note it down. Luke 20, 46. Beware of scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour, these are the religious leaders now, who devour widows' houses. In other words, they're foreclosing on widows who don't have any money, and for a pretense, make long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. The implication is there's some sins that get you greater condemnation than others. John 19.11. You could have no power, this is Jesus speaking to Pontius Pilate, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Again, qualifying sin 
even here in terms of earthly consequences. And of course, Paul pulls us off to the side because it's a private conversation and starts talking about sexual sin in 1 Corinthians 6.18. He says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. He's basically saying there are different consequences to different sins. Some sins you commit can have impact out there. But sexual sin impacts you personally in a way different than any other sin. In fact, the other sins, Paul says, you're to resist. This sin, he says, you're to run, forest, run. Get out of there. Flee. Don't even stay to resist it. Get out of there. Because it has the potential of changing the very fabric of your soul. So how we live does matter. The things we do does matter. Misperception number one, I'm not a bad person. The truth is we're all sinners in the eyes of God in need of His grace and His mercy. Number two, all sin is the same. All unforgiven, unrepented sin is the same. It all leads us to eternal separation from God. But all sin has different consequences. It can affect things differently. And number three, this is one that I think is one of the biggest cultural lies. Since I've already done it, I might as well keep doing it. Sometimes I think this has to do with an issue of people feeling like they got away with it and God didn't strike them with lightning, so let's keep going. But I think more times than not, it's people who are so discouraged and hurt inside from having fallen that they feel like, I'm such a failure, I might as well just keep going. Who cares? Give up. And that's one of the misperceptions. And evidently, this was a problem thousands of years ago because Paul wrote about it in Romans 6, 1, when he said this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? In other words, if when we sin, we can call out to God, and God in His mercy forgives us, washes us, and lavishes us with grace, somebody had the bright idea, well then maybe we should sin more. Because that way we get more grace. Sin abounds, grace abounds. And Paul says in verse 2, Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? In other words, when you receive Christ Jesus as your Savior, when you became a Christian, the Bible says you became dead to sin. So why would you even think about going back into that which hurts yourself and hurts the heart of God? It's scary when a believer, a Christian, honestly thinks in his or her mind that God understands my needs. God understands my weaknesses. And he, he's, he's okay with it. I hear Christians say all the time, well, it's, it doesn't matter. God loves me just the way I am. God does love you. But it doesn't mean he loves what you do and it doesn't mean he's willing to leave you the way you are. God wants to change you. According to Romans 8, He wants to change you from glory to glory into the image of His Son. So it doesn't matter whether you've fallen. You don't go right back into it. You don't act like a pig who's wallowing in the mud. And that's an example that Jesus used in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. No, instead we say, that's not who I am. God has changed me. You repent of it. 
and then you begin to walk in newness of life. I believe the most miserable people in the world are not non-Christians. A lot of Christians think, well, the truth is the world is miserable. I don't think the world's miserable. I think a lot of people in the world are very happy. I think they like their life. They don't know any different. They like it. I think the most miserable person in the world is a Christian who knows better but continues to wallow in sin. Because when you do that, you lose your sense of intimacy with God. It's not that God leaves. You lose the sense of connection with God. You feel like a failure. Like you are somehow disqualified from his presence. The most miserable people are those who know there's something better, but continue to reject the will, the way, and the purpose of God. Now, the last thing I would want to do is to stand up here and say to you, I've got it all together. I don't ever have these issues. I don't have any problems. When the truth is, I live my life daily repenting. Things that I say that aren't quite right, that I need to go back and correct. When I'm sharp with my wife or with anybody else, I have to go back and make it right. I live that way constantly, daily, wanting to live uprightly before the Lord, bringing back before Him and saying, God, it's not going to get any better unless you change me. Would you not help me? So I am imperfect, and so are you. We're all on a journey of growing into the image of God. I don't want you to leave here today. I said this was a weighty sermon. I don't want you to leave here feeling guilty or ashamed or heavy. That's not what I meant. I want you to understand that sin is progressive. Sin gets worse and worse. I mean, think about it. When you lie, uh, when I was growing up, uh, I was afraid of my father. He was a violent, angry man. He was a big man. In fact, my dad's idea of one of the best times of his week was when he could go next door to the bar that he was the president of and get in a physical fight and beat somebody up. He was that kind of guy before he came to Christ. So I grew up afraid of him. And so when he would ask a question, I wouldn't answer the truth because I was afraid of getting in trouble, so I would lie. And then, like anything else, you have to lie to cover the lie. And then you have to lie to cover the lie that covered the lie. And pretty soon, you can't remember what the truth is anymore. Sin is progressive. It'll take you further than you want to go, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. That's what sin does. That's why this is so serious. So it is not appropriate to say, what I do doesn't matter. God's okay with it. He's not okay with it. God has a plan for your life, and it's better than that. If you give sin dominion over your life, if you choose to wallow in it, instead of as a believer, fight for all your worth. I'm not saying you won't fail, but you get up and you continue the fight for his righteousness in your life. You continue to lean into him, to call upon him. If you give in to sin, you will ultimately feel like a failure and you will lose your sense of intimacy with the Lord. Don't countenance the lie of the enemy that says it doesn't matter what you do, God loves you just the way you are. God does love you. But he wants you to become more and more like him. Sin matters. It costs us. But the bigger and better news is that Jesus paid the price for sin. Because that verse that we read in 1 John, if we say we have no sin, 
we deceive ourselves and the truth of God is not in us. He goes on in the next verse and he says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The good news today is we don't have to live with this as our issue. We can be honest. I've got issues. You've got issues. I've got junk. You've got junk. I've got sin. You've got sin. But we call upon a God who forgives us, who cleanses us, who changes us day by day. It's a journey of walking more and more with Him. With that in mind, I'm going to ask if you would just bow your heads. Uh, Next week, I want to encourage you, if this is your home church, if this is your family, or if you're a visitor and you just say, "I, I would like to, I'm going to encourage you to be here next Sunday because you're going to hear some things a little bit different of a different path that we're going to be taking as a church. So I encourage you especially to be here and contact all of your church friends who aren't here today and say, you better be here. But this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. With your heads bowed, bow your heads and close your eyes. It's okay, no one's going to hit you. Just you do business with God. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, I'd like to give you that opportunity. It's as simple as asking him into your heart, saying, would you be the Lord of my life? It's asking him to forgive you and to say, I want to walk with you. I want to follow you all the days of my life. If you're here today and you have not done that, you have never asked the Lord into your heart before, but you would like to. I want to give you that opportunity. And the scripture says that when one person gives their life to God here on earth, all of the angels in heaven throw a party and celebrate. We want to celebrate with you as well because your coming to God is good news. So if you're here today and you have not asked the Lord to be your Savior and you would like to, you know that you've had issues in your own life and you want God to deal with those issues, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand right now and I would like to be able to recognize you and to pray for you. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, would you raise your hand? Okay, then I'm going to assume that you do. And you're saying today, I'm going to walk with the Lord. All the days of my life, I'm going to walk close to Him. I want to know Him. I want to be His friend. Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize that in a place this size, it's possible somebody didn't raise their hands that wanted to but felt embarrassed or afraid. I pray, God, that you would continue to work in their hearts. And for those of us who have already received you as Lord and Savior, I ask you, Father, to help us to walk in a way that honors the truth of your word. The truth is, we who are sinners have already been saved by grace, so much so that you now call us saints. Sin no longer has dominion over us. We died to sin when we came to you. And now righteousness is at work in us. Because although you convict the world of sin, you also convict us of righteousness. And so, Lord, we want to become more and more like you. Not excusing sin, not allowing place in our own lives. We want to walk holy as our God is holy. So, Lord, I'm asking you to do a work inside of us to grow us more and more into your image. I ask for your hand 
to rest upon each person who is here gathered, that they would know the presence of Almighty God and the love of God our Savior, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Let that be our portion in these days as we walk out of this house today. Let your hand and your blessing be upon each one. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day.